0: is the Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria.
1: Don't sign it. Farmers plead with the Trade Minister to not sign a dud trade deal with the European Union.
0: Minister Farrell in the next couple of weeks is heading to Osaka for the G7 Trade Minister's meeting. We know he's having meetings with his European counterpart on the sidelines. And we're really concerned that he's taking his signing pen with him and he is ready to ink a deal that is really a dud deal for Australian agriculture.
1: We'll have more on that shortly on The Country Are Also speaking trade, wine could be on its way back to China. We'll have a look into the details of that and find out what's going on now, what it could mean for wine grape growers and the king without a herd. One of the two members of the United Dairy Farmers of Victoria who didn't resign and go off and start that new dairy lobby group that's been created in Victoria, joins us to talk about the future of the UDV, if it has a future, what its plans are and what he thinks the advocacy body can be. All of that and more coming up today on The Country Hour. I hope you can join us. Eden Hennon has rural news first for you today. Good afternoon, Eden.
2: G'day was. After being criticised for a lack of funding to control the fire ant pest in northern Australia, more funding has been found from the federal government. $268 million will be spent over four years to go to the National Eradication Program, including money for baits, new technology and more people on the ground to kill ant nests. Rhys Piata, Conservation Officer with the Invasive Species Council, says it's important money that's needed to control a nasty pest.
3: This is a breakthrough. And it means that fire ant work can start immediately. I know there are some really dedicated people out there on the ground who are doing the work to eradicate fire ants that... uh, Want to get cracking and order baits and get drones and helicopters up in the air doing that work and get the crews out on the ground and this money will mean that work can happen over this crucial coming summer and autumn. Ideally, uh, we would have had this uh, work started, uh, you know, in Australia out on the ground this in in the previous winter, um, but you know the uh, budget cycle obviously didn't mean that that was possible. So we've missed spring. That's a missed opportunity. Um, but really, uh, we couldn't afford any more delay.
2: Well, the world's second biggest producer of sugar has extended its ban on exporting, giving Aussie sugarcane growers another price boost in what's already been a pretty sweet year. The Aussie sugar price hit a record of $940 a tonne this month, thanks to high global prices and the low Aussie dollar. Chair of Cane Growers, Owen Menken, says the export freeze by India is playing a big role.
4: India has uh, placed a restriction on exports so as they could uh, lower their uh, domestic prices because they they're not exporting, that that has meant the world price has gone up. That that restriction ended on the 31st of October, but just recently the Indian government has extended that restriction indefinitely. So that has created uh, that means that they're going to be exporting less sugar next year and the year after, which has put a, a, another uh, bounce in the in the market going forward.
2: In the last seven weeks, around 12 million hectares of the Northern Territory has been burnt by bushfire. Authorities say a lot of these fires have been deliberately lit. The president of the NT Cattlemen's Association, David Connolly, says the fires have wiped out the food source for many pastoralists and for the environment, it's much worse.
5: It's burnt black both sides. It's a, um, I reckon in some areas there it's close to an ecological disaster given that that country doesn't burn this time of year or shouldn't get burnt hot like this at this time of year. So um, I'll tell you what, there's quite a few lizards on the road. Um, I do the Barclay Highway often enough and um, you don't see too much wildlife on the road. And um, there's just a poultice of lizards and I reckon they've come out on the road to try and escape the flames, of course. So, um, yeah, pretty ordinary, um, pretty big fire. And uh, the people involved, um, NT bushfires and anyone else involved, including pastoralists, that uh, were able to stop that fire be- before it hit the open country going into sedan. Uh, was was, you know, a tremendous job.
2: Berries Australia has just returned from a trade mission to Vietnam to try and boost the market for Australian blueberries. It was part of a delegation to Vietnam supported by Austrade and the Department of Agriculture. Executive Director Rachel McKenzie says with just 2% of the Australian crop exported currently, the industry will benefit greatly from new markets.
0: So the Trade Delegation to Vietnam came about as part of a bigger delegation to celebrate the 50th anniversary of um, trade relationships between the Australian government and the Vietnamese government. So we were part of a bigger delegation of um, fruit and vegetable producers, but we were particularly focused on blueberries. Currently, the Australian government is negotiating with the Vietnamese government to get access for blueberries, and we are most excited about that. We currently only export about 2% of Australian blueberry production. So we're really keen to get access to new markets. And I would certainly say, based on the response we got from Vietnamese retailers, consumers and importers, they are very keen to get their hands on Australian blueberries.
1: And that's rural news for today, was. Thanks very much for that. Eden In there with Rural News. Our country out today, looking at wine, looking at trade in the first half hour, and there is a lot going on. In that world right now, we'll delve into wine. We'll have a look at this EU deal and you can be involved. You can let us know what you think because there is some good news, maybe, for Australian wine that was announced across the weekend.
6: The Chinese market is very important. So it is something where we're having a a full-court press uh, with our, our counterparts as well. We've been successful in areas like barley and hay and timber
1: Prime Minister talking there about China agreeing to review its tariffs on Australian wine in another major breakthrough for the relationship between the two countries when it comes to trade. The decision comes ahead of a Prime Ministerial visit, Anthony Albanese's visit to Beijing, which is due to take place in November. Political reporter Stephanie Boris breaks down the actual announcement and what's going on for the wine trade.
4: Well, this is quite a significant announcement because it was back in 2020 when China announced that it was imposing tariffs on Australian wine up to 220%. So essentially overnight it stopped Australian wine exporters being able to ship their wine to China. And at that time, Australian wine exports were worth more than $1 billion. So as a result of this, Australia took China to what we call the World Trade Organization. They were making essentially a complaint against these impositions of these tariffs. But what we've learnt today is that China has actually agreed to review the tariffs. It's going to be a five month review. And while that's taking place, Australia has dropped that claim with the WTO. Of course, they can then resume that claim if you know nothing comes of this review by China. But it's sort of an indication that there is some movement and some positive movement. If we look back to April of this year, that was when China announced a review into Bali. That also had tariffs on it. And by August, those tariffs were dropped. So the hope, the expectation is something similar could happen in this case. The Prime Minister has sent out a statement this morning welcoming the announcement. And we do know that he is travelling to China early next month. In terms of the opposition, they have very much welcomed this as well but have made the point that these tariffs shouldn't have been put in place in the first instance.
1: And we'll pick, we'll pick up there because again similar to Bali, China could be reviewing its tariffs on wine from Australia because it was about to lose a case in front of the World Trades umpire. That's certainly the accusation that the opposition Simon Birmingham has been making.
7: It's welcome but these tariffs should never have been put in place in the first place. It was an attempted at economic coercion by China Uh, The tariffs were never justified and it is no doubt no coincidence uh, that China and Australia received the draft report from the World Trade Organisation into Australia's appeal against these tariffs only in the last week. Uh, I am confident that draft report would have found uh, that these tariffs uh, were an act Against the rules of the WTO, they are clearly in breach of the China-Australia Free Trade Agreement and the undertakings that China mm. had given to Australia. And so they should not just be removed, reviewed, but they should be removed and removed forthwith.
1: For Victorian winemakers, they're optimistic but cautious on the news that those tariffs placed on local wine exported to China could soon be lifted. At Hanging Rock Winery in central Victoria, Ruth Ellis exported 50% of her wine to China before the tariffs crippled her sales. She says it's potentially huge huge news for industry, but she, she wants to watch it a lot more closely from here
3: going into these restrictions we were selling uh nearly half the wine we were making um into china we were making a lot of wine especially for that market it was um for us and and to be honest most australian wineries especially of a certain size it was a very 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 lucrative market that all of a sudden went away overnight Uh, it's exactly what we what we need right now is to is to hear that those restrictions are going, to be lift, lift, crossed, going to be lifted potentially fingers crossed can be lifted
2: and it was talking about a review of about five months it's interesting timing in the wine industry here isn't it
3: yeah uh, your yeah, five months is a is an interesting um, timeline I mean you know we'll take whatever timeline we can get um, so uh, this all sort of based around harvest time so The vast majority of wine going to China uh, comes from places like the Riverland, you know, sort of hotter areas, even places like Barossa and McLaren Vale, the Hunter Valley, those sorts of things. The grapes are harvested in January, February. So if if they're looking at uh, lifting restrictions March and April, then what it's going to mean is that those wineries are going to have to hedge their bets as to whether that's going to happen or not. The biggest hit in this whole thing hasn't just been for the wineries. The biggest hit has been for the poor old grape growers. You know, wine is a very stable product. Um, you know, it if it's made well enough, it can last, um, you know, somewhere between five and a and hundred years, depending on how well you make it. Grapes, on the other hand, once they're ripe, we're looking at weeks, not months, not, you know, of anything else. Once they come off the vine, they need to be processed immediately. So there's a lot of really full wineries out there, wineries that are still got, you know, are at capacity. And so it's going to be really challenging to see where, you know, what this is going to mean for the poor old grape growers, whether their grapes are going to be taken this year or not.
2: Um, but maybe looking at more positively long term, if this does go ahead and the tariffs are dropped, next year it might not be a problem.
3: Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> you yeah, know, next year, next year uh, it'll be um, uh, full throttle. Uh, everyone will be, be back on board, which will be fantastic.
2: Have you spoken to any of your Chinese buyers about this? yeah sure so um
3: it's interesting a lot of a lot of my chinese buyers um i mean this hurt them as much as it hurt us because uh you know they'd set themselves up as australian wine specialists and they'd built relationships with their um suppliers i.e us over over a long period of time and so from a lot of them either they shut their doors they changed industries or the wet and sourced, um, you know, wine from Chile or Argentina or Spain or France or Italy or you know wherever. Um, but there are a number of them that are ready, raring to go, which is great. But there's definitely a lot less of them than when we went into this.
2: And uh, so, and, be- and I heard the palate has changed quite a bit. Also, within China itself, do you expect to? You know, you said you were selling fifty percent of your wine over to China. Do you think you could get get that back?
3: Um, I'm I'm hoping we'll get that back over time, but I'm expecting that, you know, there'll there'll be an initial rush. You know, sort of the uh, you know the day that the bans um, are lifted, uh, every shipping container coming out of. Uh, Adelaide, Melbourne, and Perth, and Sydney'll all be booked out with wine going to China, but after that it'll it'll drop off a bit i'd imagine and i'm looking the expectation is that that on the onset we'd be looking at about a quarter of what of what we were selling, and then the idea being that then those relationships will have to be rebuilt. Um, we'll all have to go and spend some more time in market and uh, and try and build those bridges again.
2: And how does that work for you now with your production? I mean, you obviously had to change things drastically over the past few years. What will you do moving forward? So the last few
3: years, our, vintage, our vintages have been pretty lean. We, uh, um, we've we produced a lot a lot less shiraz. Once again, poor old grape growers. They, they're the ones copying that. But we've still got plenty of wine left in the winery from four years ago. And let me tell you, we're, we're not alone in that scenario. That's, that's a lot of Australian wineries. On spec, I'd say this year we'll definitely pick up production again and then next year we'll be really big. One of the things about Shiraz, which is what the m- bulk of what the Chinese are looking for, is that it's about a 24-month lead time from when you make the wine to when you can sell it. Um, and so you have to think about, think about that. What is this likely to mean in 24 months time?
2: And moving forward, you've seen how things can change very quickly politically between Australia and yeah. China. Uh, will mm. you be a little more careful this time? <laughs> yes,
3: yes. It's funny and not funny all at once. Um, when we were selling plenty of wine to China, uh, we used to joke that one of the things about selling wine to China is that uh, the government can just decide overnight, that's it, no more Australian wine, um, thinking ha-ha-ha as if that would ever happen, and then it did. Um, so, yes, you know, so definitely going forward will be a lot more careful.
1: Isn't that an interesting insight into sort of business management of a, what has been a lucrative but fraught export market. That's Hanging Rock winery owner, Ruth Ellis, speaking there with Eden Henninen. And that comment really goes into this text from Chris on our text line, 0467 If you want to send us a text saying, Warwick, we still need to do a lot more work on finding other trading partners for our exports and get rid of our reliance on China. That's the thoughts coming in from Chris on the text line. Thank you very much for that, Chris. 0467 842 722 if you want to send us a text line, a text message. And if you want to read more about that, including reactions from not only here in Victoria, but South Australia and New South Wales, there's a story up online right now, abc.net.au slash rural. You can read about it there. You can also read about our next story, which is an interesting one when it comes to trade and our reliance on individual markets or areas. Farmers are pleading with the Australian government not to sign a trade deal with Europe, suggesting it would set the agriculture industry backwards. The European Union is Australia's third largest trading partner with two-way trade valued at close to $100 billion. But despite more than five years of negotiations on a potential free trade agreement, National Farmers Federation President Fiona Simpson says the current offer on the table is a dud and she doesn't want the government to sign it.
0: Look, right now, as we know, the EU FTA has finished formal negotiations. But Minister Farrell, in the next couple of weeks, is heading to Osaka for the G7 Trade Ministers' meeting. We know he's having meetings with his European counterpart on the sidelines, and we're really concerned that he is taking his signing pen with him and he is ready to ink a deal that is really a dud deal for Australian agriculture.
2: Why do you think it could be a dud deal and what would a dud deal look like?
0: Well at the moment the offers on the table would actually put us at a significant disadvantage to farmers in in countries like Canada, New Zealand or, or South America. It would not be commercially meaningful for Australian agriculture for nearly any commodity and in actual fact it would send some of our commodities back. Uh, to the position that they're in now.
3: Can you elaborate on that? What is it that the EU is seeking?
0: Well, signing up to the deal, for example, would impose geographical indicators on Australian farmers. Um, and as I'm sure everybody knows now, it's a different way of guaranteeing the quality of your products. Uh, it would impose between probably 70 and $90 million extra on Australian dairy farmers. Um, And it's a balance of trade that at the moment is very much in the EU's favour. They deliver way, way, way more product than we deliver to them. Uh, And this would just be cementing some of those conditions that really are are not good at all for Australian farmers and would put us at a disadvantage.
3: So what's your message to Don Farrell and the Australian government?
0: Look, at the moment, um, we support... Minister Farrell, uh, maintaining his position that if it's not a good deal for Australian farmers, he needs to keep the pen in his pocket and walk away, stay at the table, keep talking. There's no rush to do this deal. It will be with Australian farmers for the next 50 years. Uh, It's too important. It offers too many opportunities for Australian farmers and for European consumers. We must take the time to get it right.
3: Are you concerned about um, environmental regulation that could be imposed on Australian producers?
0: Look, we've been very uh, honest and open with the Europeans about our sustainability frameworks that we have here in Australia. But we have to understand that they're very different to the European situation. Our production regimes are very different. So uh, at the moment, we do not want to have European systems imposed on us that make no sense at all to the Australian environment.
3: You've seen a few trade deals inked in your time.
0: Is this the most concerning? I think it's the most concerning because it's bad for nearly every commodity and it actually sends some commodities backwards. Uh, Normally in a trade deal, there's winners and losers. It's really hard to see that there are any winners at all in this particular deal for Australian agriculture.
1: That is Fiona Simpson, who's stepping down as president of the National Farmers Federation this week, speaking to Kath Sullivan in a statement. Trade Minister Don Farrell said any deal with the EU must include practical benefits for Australian businesses, including improved market access for Australian farmers. As I said, Fiona Simpson about to step down as NFF president. We'll get a new NFF president this week, but as part of... Leaving that role, she's making a an address to the National Press Club tomorrow. Uh, you can either watch that online or on your television or catch up on it. We might even bring a little bit for you, time permitting, here on the Victorian Country Hour as well. So watch that space. Speaking of watching this space, some breaking news for you as well. Uh, de- uh, striking workers' say well at least one group of striking workers with dairy companies say they've been able to reach a deal we spoke quite extensively about dairy strikes last week both at the factory level and at the milk tanker driver level with uh, transport workers union truck drivers for Saputo and Gippsland milk tanker drivers are also taking part in strikes well the TWU workers may have a deal And to join us now, Mike McNess from the union can join us to take us through that. Mike McNess, welcome back to the Country Hour.
8: How are you, Warwick? Thanks for having me. You've got a deal? Uh, We have reached an agreement. Um, Some negotiations were completed uh, very late Friday afternoon. uh, And essentially, uh, a a deal has been reached.
1: So what does that mean? Do you have an agreement then on, on pay and the conditions meaning no more strike action?
8: Uh, That would be correct. So uh, the action was listed for uh, 48 hours last week. That was completed. Uh, There was a meeting held or commenced on Friday uh, late in the morning. went through to uh, Friday afternoon and uh, we've reached agreement on uh, wages, um, some job security and hours of work.
1: Can you share some of those details?
8: I probably don't like to go into the the details too specifically, but... uh, you know there was a lot of pressure on um, uh, uh, the industry, and uh, most of the drivers and most of our concerns were around job security. Uh, Saputo had come out um, a number of weeks ago and announced they were looking to close uh, plants. Um, you know a lot of pressure on primary industries in Australia from international uh, spheres, and dairy uh, is no different. So uh, our our concerns and our claims around job security uh, as well as wages growth were met.
1: So you've got a commitment from Saputo that they're not going to sell off their trucking fleet or close the Lee and Gatha factory?
8: Well, we're never going to get those kind of commitments specifically, uh, but when it comes to um, the hours of work, rates of pay, uh, some of those other conditions, the way shifts are structured uh, and some assurances on the future of uh, Lee and Gatha, uh, our members were satisfied.
1: So they've given you some assurances that, Lee, that there aren't plans to sell Lee and Gatha.
8: Well, we know that, uh, well, Lee and Gatha specifically, but we know that, um, you know, Saputo have already come out and spoken about closing uh, other parts of their business, uh, but we don't see that happening in Lee and Gather at any time soon.
1: And how important were those commitments, not only for, for your members to get those commitments from Saputo, uh, as well as pay rises?
8: oh very important um you know our members uh, down there they work very hard they start very early they work through the night uh nothing changed throughout the whole covid period for them there was still milk to be picked up and processed, uh and they've uh, always gone the extra mile there uh, for the company uh and the community and certainly the farmers as well uh so it's great that they were able to reach an agreement that recognized uh what they do and what they'll be doing into the
1: future do you have sympathy for the farmers that during your strike action had to dump thousands of litres of milk?
8: Oh, look, it's, it's always unfortunate um, uh, when action like this has to be taken. Uh, of course, uh, you know, our members work face-to-face with these farmers. They're there uh, picking up the milk every morning. They deal with uh, uh, dozens and dozens of farmers uh, that they know very well. Uh, my understanding is that uh, the vast majority of the farmers were able to hold up to three days of milk. The action was only for two days. Uh, certainly, I, I, I heard that uh, there was some uh, milk that had to be tipped out. Uh, I suppose the upside is, as I understand it, that the farmers get paid uh, throughout this process
1: either way. Uh, do you think, though, the fact that some farmers had to dump milk will fracture the relationship between those who come and pick up the milk from their farms and the farmers themselves?
8: Well, I, I wouldn't think so, Warwick. Uh, you know, We've got um, plenty of support Um, for our members uh, uh, the drivers did from the the farmers throughout the action and uh, this is I think the first type of action this kind of action that uh, these drivers have had to take in decades Um, and many of them even remember and and spent some time talking about it over the last week or so when the farmers themselves uh, took action and didn't provide milk for pickup I think around about 20 years ago
1: so there's still the the uh, the threat or, and negotiations going along of, of further strike action from United Workers Union. They're the, the dairy factory workers. Uh, the TWU represent the tanker drivers, uh, those in Gippsland who were on strike last week. Uh, so does this end um, the issue for you for the time being? There is no more risk of strike action from milk tanker drivers?
8: I I think it would be um, an extreme um, scenario. We've got an agreement. Uh, We've got a a deal that's been brokered. It's just a matter of getting the paperwork together now, and as long as all that's uh, above board, we're done.
1: Well, Mike McNess, thank you very much for joining us on the program and giving us the latest... Good on you, Warwick. Thank you very much. Much appreciated there, Mike McNess there, the uh, branch National Branch Secretary for the Transport Workers' Union, representing the milk tanker drivers that were on strike last week in Gippsland that drove for Saputo. There is still the outstanding issue of the United Workers' Union... Uh, factory workers who work for those four dairy companies. Those negotiations are continuing this week. And as you heard on this program on Friday, there is still the very real threat of more strike action being taken at dairy factories uh, as early as this week, depending on how those negotiations go. If you want to listen back to that interview, you can just go back and listen to the Victorian Country Hour wherever you get your podcast, or you can read about it online at abc.net.au slash rural. Or, you know, use the ABC Listen app. It's pretty cool too. You can call and message us from there. You can send us a message if you like. 0467 842 722. Let's get regional uh, Victorian news headlines right now. After that, we'll find out what's happening weather wise around our state. For headlines today, though, Rochelle Kirkham can join you. Good afternoon, Rochelle. Good afternoon, Warwick. A third
9: councillor has resigned from the Glenelg Shire in southwest Victoria, the fifth high-ranking executive, to leave a position in a year. This morning, the Shire announced Councillor Chrissy Hawker tendered her immediate resignation on Friday. It follows the resignation of Deputy Mayor Jaden Smith and Chief Executive Officer Paul Thielen last week. Former Mayor Anita Rank left in July after she was first elected in 2012 and Chief Executive of 10 Years Greg Burgoyne left in January. The Glenelg Shire Council says the Minister for Local Government and Victorian Electoral Commission has been notified. A Mildura motocross rider who died on the weekend is being remembered as someone who showed a lot of promise as a young rider. 18-year-old Seb O'Halloran was fatally stabbed by a 17-year-old girl just after 1am on Saturday in Mildura. The girl has been charged with one count of murder and will attend a children's court at a later date. Small aftershocks continue in southwest Victoria after a magnitude 5 earthquake struck near Colac at the weekend. Geoscience Australia reported a magnitude 2.6 aftershock in Apollo Bay just after quarter past three this morning. There have been no reports of damage. Geoscience Australia senior seismologist Hugh Glanville says more aftershocks could strike in the coming days, but another big quake is unlikely. For more news and stories, search for your local ABC station online.
1: Thanks very much for that. Rochelle Kirkham there with regional news headlines on the tanker drivers from Saputo uh, getting uh, a deal uh, done. So, you know, foregoing future strike action, uh, at least for milk tanker drivers. A couple of you have sent your thoughts. You wouldn't trust them with your beer, says one person on the text line and I don't understand why COVID is used as a bargaining tool. I thought workers would have been pleased to be working during COVID considering the alternative was less appealing, says Jack in Hopeton. Uh, You can keep your text coming 0467 842 722. Clyde says four and a half millimetres of rain near bright yesterday. Warwick. curious to know what the outlook is with all that cloud over southwest WA. Clyde, well, you've come to the right place. Let's go to the Bureau of Meteorology right now and find out what's happening weather-wise around our state and what the forecast looks like. Joanna Hughes can join you, take you through those details. Hi, Good
3: G'day, Walter. How are
1: you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, it's sunny outside my window in Shepparton today. Is that how it looks for most of Victoria? It uh, sort of depends where you are
7: today, definitely um, north of the range is looking pretty sunny for the most part, but uh, pretty cloudy um, in the south, particularly around central parts at the moment, but uh, that cloud is it clearing off after that, that system that uh, moved across over uh, the weekend, and uh, to add a bit to the the rainfall discussion of what we've seen in the gauge with that system moving across in the last 24 hours, um, so up to 9am this morning, um, we had totals of uh, up to 35, and even up to 38 millimetres was the, the highest at uh, Yarragon South um, and other places sort of in and around Western South Gippsland. We saw broadly sort of 25 to to 35 millimetres, um, and up over the ranges as well. Um, Mount Hoffman saw 20 20 millimetres, and uh, Falls Creek 24. So up over those peaks, still uh, still getting pretty high. And then as you kind of grade away from the mountains, uh, those those totals sort of dip off as well, but uh, still sort of. Broadly in that um, that sort of 10 to 15 millimetres for large parts of um, the eastern ranges, and then um, yeah, sort of drying off a little bit. Only a couple of millimetres or so in the gauge for um, areas in the southwest. But uh, it's uh, not looking too wet in the uh, in the outlook period. So um, as you say, a bit of bit of cloud lingering around this morning, um, and so we do have uh, in terms of just the the warnings before I get into the. Um, into the spiel of what's happening for the rest of the week, we have a, a sheep graziers warning um, for the southwest and central forecast districts tomorrow. So it's not looking as wet with us uh, with still a few showers around. um expected to, to come across tomorrow as a, as a front crosses the state. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, looking particularly chilly in behind that one. So um, that's... Uh, also looking pretty windy as well so we've got a severe weather warning for so damaging winds over the central ranges um about the the otways and around um grampians as well and uh in terms of the flooding situation before i get into the into the outlook um we still have a minor to moderate flood warning for the murray river um mainly at barham uh, where we've got minor peak that's uh that's Likely around Wednesday, um, and the moderate flooding remains a possibility later in the week, but um, it's uh, not looking as as likely um, with the rainfall that we've got coming up. Um, and we've also got the minor flooding uh, possible at Trumbury We uh, are around Wednesday, but uh, now that I've got the, those warnings warnings out the out the door, <laughs> um, quite a few quite about yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, quite a few. I just wanted to make sure I did them first, so I didn't forget anything. Um, but yeah, I guess in terms of uh, the the um, the person who sent in the, the text message before looking at that cloud over southwest WA at the moment, uh, that is certainly on its way over. So looking pretty, pretty calm today. And then that, um, that cold front is indeed making its way through the bite over Victoria on Tuesday. As I say, not a huge amount of rainfall in that, um, mainly sort of a, a windy front and a, a bit of bit of shower activity, mainly about southwest Victoria, um, and it sort of dives, to the south as it reaches the central district. So mainly on and south of the ranges, primarily in in Western Victoria, but a little bit about the Bass Coast as well. Um, And it is looking pretty cold in in the wake of that on on Tuesday. So we've got some small hail, um, again, around the southwest and uh, over the coastal waters there. And uh, in the wake of that on Wednesday, we've got that southwesterly flow and uh, that hail reaching a bit further north. So most places sort of south of the ranges Pretty much up to about uh, Sale, um, east of Sale. Not expecting so much of the, the hail, but hail is a possibility. Pretty much everywhere else um, on and south of the ranges on Wednesday, and a bit of rainfall in that as well. Not uh, not making it north of the ranges, unfortunately. But um, in terms of some of those those numbers for Wednesday, um, looking broadly like one to five millimeters. Uh, south of the ranges and some of those higher totals around um, the Otways, Bass Coast, Yarra Ranges, dandenongs the usual kind of spots, sort of 5 to 15 millimetres in those areas and uh, could see a light shower in the north, but it'd be less than a millimetre, nothing much in it, unfortunately. And then uh, Thursday, that uh, system sort of keeps moving away, we've got the shower activity easing and with the cold air um, in the wake of that, we do have some snow levels dropping sort of late Wednesday into Thursday, so... Could see some uh, some flurries about. So snow levels down to 800 metres, which is uh, yeah pretty pretty low for this time of year. Um, and then uh, the cold air lingering around on Thursday morning, so we could see some frost um, about particularly excuse me particularly about western parts of the state and pretty much anywhere north of the ranges um, on Thursday and Friday oh, morning. So keep,
1: frost. Keep so an low. eye
7: out. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's uh, that that cold mass of air that's coming up is uh, no no good at this time of year. It's um, rather they just Stay a little bit further south that would be uh, more polite of them, I think. Um so yeah, definitely keep an eye out for, for those uh frost warnings that may be issued Thursday, Friday morning. We'll see see how we go. Um hopefully nothing too widespread. Um, and then Saturday and Sunday it's looking pretty settled as um as that system's moved right off and the and the cold air has kind of moved off by that point as well It's becoming a bit milder over the weekend and um possibility of maybe a shower or two on on Sunday, but um yeah, that's just with a fairly weak trough passing over, so it'll be pretty hit and miss and uh probably not much in it again, maybe up to a millimeter in the gauge, but that's about it for, for Sunday.
1: So not a lot of rain at all on the radar.
7: No, not a lot at all. It's um I mean there's there's a fair you know, moderate amounts but yeah, as they say on and south of the ranges for Wednesday, but otherwise, um yeah, looking looking pretty sparse on the rainfall front.
1: And what's the likelihood? I think we, we were joking when we were talking about it last week, but likelihood of snow. For this week, is there is there some some more expected?
7: Yeah, so it is uh, on on that sort of late Wednesday, early Thursday. It is pretty cold, so those snow levels are getting down to about eight hundred meters. Um, and so, yeah, that's uh, lining up with when we've got some um, some precipitation as well. So I reckon we'll see at least a few flurries overnight, um, sort of Wednesday into
1: Thursday. Gosh, you've got it all in that forecast, except for really widespread <laughs> rain. Uh, Joe Hughes, thanks mm-hmm. very much for the update. Much appreciated. No worries at all. Chat to you soon. Joanna Hughes there, Senior Forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology, taking you through the full forecast. You're listening to The Country Hour. Some more of your texts. Uh, There was actually a light frost this morning in the Southern Mallee, says this text as well. Thank you for sending that through. It's really not wonderful, though, is it? We've already had... uh, We've heard from Marty Colbert last week on The Country Hour talking about doing frost assessments. If you get hit by one, I know it's not great, uh, would love the local info, though. You can always send us a text or give us a call here on the Country Hour. Paul from Trafalgar, 25mm at Trafalgar, but 3 k's north, 2mm. Oh, what a difference. Flat out cutting for pit silage at the moment. Good luck to all those flooded farms and fire ones, says Paul. You catch them all really there, don't you? Thank you for that. And on the uh, deal between the milk tanker drivers and Saputo, meaning unlikely to have strikes from tanker drivers really anytime soon uh this one says party's over for drivers at Gather. no more drinking out the front on strike while their milk uh, farmers were tipping out their milk uh Someone not happy with that situation was read the striking tanker drivers and the agreement being reached. Why a strike in the first place to cause such awful stress and anguish to farmers? The union rep not offering sympathy isn't really a surprise. And where did he get all the information that dairy farmers can hold two or three days milk on farm? Seriously, he has no idea, says Janine at Norena there on the text line as well. Thanks very much for sending all of that through. We'll continue the dairy discussion right now because... He's either the kingmaker for the most powerful dairy lobby group in Australia or a dairy farmer without a herd. Bernie Free is the one who stayed. Almost the entire leadership of the United Dairy Farmers of Victoria resigned nearly a month ago and left because of the UDV's connection to the Victorian Farmers Federation. There's much anger at the centralisation of money and resources away from commodity groups in the VFF to come under control of the president and the core leadership of Victoria's wider farm lobby. Dairy was no different, so the majority of the leadership resigned. Only Vice President Bernie Free and Rob Campbell from the Policy Council stayed. So earlier today, Bernie Free joined me to talk about why he stayed, the future of the United Dairy Farmers of Victoria and the fight over the future of the Victorian Farmers Federation, where he sits with that, and this is how it went. Bernie Free, welcome to the country. here. Yeah? Thanks, Warwick. Are you the, the the king without a herd, so to speak, at the moment at the UDV? What is the current state of the United Dairy Farmers of Victoria?
6: Uh, the current state of the United Dairy Farmers of Victoria is that we're just about to go into election mode. Um, the nominations close today, Monday, and then hopefully we've got a few candidates for each of the positions, and we'll have an election over the next four weeks. So and I'd encourage anybody that's a member of the UDV to participate in that election.
1: Are UDV members participating or have the majority of them left to this new group?
6: Uh, the majority of UDV members are still UDV members. Um, some, some have chosen to have joint memberships between the two, my understanding is, but the UDV is very much there and the representative model the representative body for Dairy Farmers in Victoria.
1: So in your mind, it is still the peak lobby group for Dairy Farmers?
6: Yes, yes. Yep, we, um, we have, last time I was told, we have 840 members, I think it was. So yes, we re- represent the majority of um, Dairy Farmers in Victoria.
1: As one of the two remaining members of the UDV, as it was before the majority resigned, you and... Rob Campbell have have remained. First things first. Why why did you stay when everyone else resigned? Um, I stayed because they they were
6: representatives of the UDV and they were representing UDV members, and they didn't go out and ask UDV rep- UDV members what the UDV members wanted. Um, if I was an individual and wasn't in this position, I would be able to walk away and start a new organisation. Seeing that I'm in this position and they were in the same, similar positions, they were representing UDV members, saying if they wanted to start a new organisation, in my eyes they should have went to the UDV members and asked them and explained to them what was going on and why they wanted to start a new organisation.
1: So they sold out the membership of the group that they were supposed to be working for?
6: You could put it in those words.
1: Then you stay. So what are you trying to do for the future of the United Dairy Farmers of Victoria after the majority of the leadership resigned?
6: We we need a strong VFF organisation to represent dairy farmers and the rest of the agricultural industry when we're talking about roads, rates, power, power lines, um, all of those sort of things, the water in the Murray-Darling Basin Plan. And then there are specific dairy issues that dairy needs to advocate for. So we need a strong link between the dairy organisations and the VFF. So my view is that we need to get that sorted within the VFF rather than put all of the energy into making a new organisation Um. And with the turmoil within the VFF, I think this is the opportune time to create a stronger and better farmer advocacy model within the UD, within the VFF.
1: Are you going to stand for UDV president when nominations close today? Uh,
6: nominations close at the end of business today. Um, I'm just in the process of putting in my um, application now.
1: You will stand for president.
6: Yes, yes, I will stand for president.
1: Your language was really interesting earlier in the interview. We're speaking to Vice President of the United Dairy Farmers of Victoria as it stands, Bernie Free, effectively acting president because there is no president or and there isn't really a, a policy council right now with so many resigning, only Bernie Free and Rob Campbell remain. That's why elections are going to be held for this dairy group to continue within the VFF. Uh, before you said... Last time I was told we had about eight hundred or so members. What's communication like between you and the VFF leadership like at the moment?
6: Uh, interesting, I would say. Um, I don't think I don't think the VFF leadership understand members' views and what their positions are as I was talking to one of the senior management the other day, explaining to them that, uh, you know, you, you, you clearly don't understand the mechanism within, the, within dairy, within the VFF, because I have been associated with a couple of the people that have left the UDV and are advocating for the new organisation and I'm still here and you don't understand why I'm still here. And and we need to, we need to keep keep the VFF and the UDV together in some shape or form, and that's what the members need to decide what that shape and form is, rather than just members going out individually um, when they're in positions of um, of of power, I suppose you would say.
1: So you don't even but agree with the with the current direction of VFF leadership. Uh.
6: Not overly, no. And
1: you're the one that stayed.
6: Yes, principles matter to me. Um, you need to you need to follow the the constitution, and if if the constitution was followed, we probably wouldn't be in this mess. And and that that is both at a UDV level and at a VFF level. I don't think um, that either. Either the UDV or the VFF is following the constitution as it was set out. So we've got major issues within that. And I dare say that's why the grains industry has the grains. People have gone to court the last two Fridays to try and sort out what the pathway is forward.
1: Yeah, so that leads to the next question, and it's probably the pertinent question when it comes to this. You've got uh, members of the the grains group or or adjacent to that taking the Victorian Farmers Federation to court over its current leadership. You've got United Dairy Farmers of Victoria losing basically the majority of its leadership uh, choosing to resign over the current direction of the Victorian Farmers Federation. You've stayed. You still don't have a good relationship with those who are currently leading the VFF. So can this be salvaged? Do You you, you say you're staying on principles, but will those principles allow the organisation to be salvaged to benefit dairy farmers, in your view?
6: It has to. Um, and, and the other point that you missed was that there was three directors resigned from the board as well. Um, this is sort of pointing to a... Position where you would think that uh, that management, the board, and all of the commodities would sit down in one room and sort this out, and that's what good leadership is.
1: So, in your view, yeah. should the current leadership of the VFF resign?
6: Uh, that's that's the decision for the current um, board of the of the VFF and all of the commodities together.
1: It's a mess, though, isn't it?
6: Um, well, yes, yes, it is a mess. Um, to make to make an organisation better, sometimes you have to go through these um, these situations where it's not pretty, um, and hopefully you come out the other side as a stronger organisation with a better framework and a, a better organisation to advocate for for farmers in general.
1: There is that rival. Dairy Group, Dairy Farmers Victoria, that has begun operations. You've stayed at the UDV. Does the UDV survive this? Does it continue into the future?
6: Uh, yeah, the UDV, the UDV will survive in 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 a shape and form that the UDV members wish it to be, along with an agreement within the VFF. Um, there's there's no no reason why we can't work all these issues out and um, become a stronger advocacy model for dairy.
1: Well, Bernie Free, fascinating to to get inside your mind and, and talk about the future of dairy advocacy in this state, obviously the most important state to dairy in the nation. Thanks very much for joining us on The Country Out.
6: No worries. Thanks, Warwick.
1: That's Bernie Free there, Vice President of the United Dairy Farmers of Victoria, going to stand to be its president, one of the two, uh, out of the whole executive leadership, executive of the United Dairy Farmers of Victoria, that stayed. everyone else resigned to form a new organisation. He's explaining why he stayed, but also the fact that he doesn't have a good relationship with the current leaders of the VFF as well, which is interesting in itself. Tony says was well done, Bernie Free, a great interview highlighting the real issues in the VFF, the board ignoring the VFF's constitution. Uh, this ex-policy council has made a decision to leave and Bernie is showing exactly why they've left. The decision was not made lightly, but an alternative is now offered. Members can now make their choice to who they want to be aligned to. Makes no sense to say they should have been consulted. Actions speak louder than words, say JP. Uh, Bernie might be the captain of a sinking ship. Uh, get out now, Bernie, says Anonymous. Uh, John in Stanhope says the Victorian Farmers Federation have completely pulled the rug out from the UDV in regards to funding. No staff and no funding left the Policy Council with no choice to break away and start again. Ultimately, dairy will be better off with its own autocracy. Hopefully, the VFF will allow Dairy Farmers Victoria to join up in the near future as members. Interesting thoughts from John at Stanhope there. Thank you for sending that three, you can keep those texts coming, Zero four six seven eight four two seven double two. Interesting insights all the way into the thinking of those who stay and those who go and the relationships between the commodity groups and the president of the VFF and, well, all of the leadership of the VFF highlighted there from Bernie Free. You can tell me what you think. You can also tell me how you think the markets are performing. Let's find out what the numbers say next. Let's start with sheep and lambs today and Jenny Kelly at Bendigo.
10: Good afternoon. The land market held up under the test of much bigger numbers today. 25,000 lambs come in, 9,000 more than a week ago. Finding weight remains an issue for exporters and the heaviest suckers over 30 kilos sold from 162 to a top of $181 for around 34 kilos carcass weight. With a push by buyers late in the sale lifting prices by up to $15 on a week ago but overall when all sales were put into the pot today averages for heavy suckers over 26 kilos were similar to 10 to 20 cents off the pace of last monday the 26 to 30 kilo crossbreads 138 to 162 to average 149 dollars at around 535 cents a kilo best heavy trades 125 to 139 there was some price fluctuations on the general run of trades in the 22 to 24 kilo range, which went from 107 to 129 dollars, depending on quality. The spread for most domestic lambs was 4.70 to 5.80 cents, with most weights and grades to processors costing 5.10 to 5.50 cents a kilo.
11: Jenny Kelly for MLA.
1: Thanks, Jenny. Let's go to the cattle markets now. Leanne Dax is at Wagga.
11: Good afternoon. Numbers dropped back to 3100 this week and of which there were 600 cows helping make up the numbers quality was fair to very good with a lot of stock over 400 kilos most buyers made it to the sale and all were looking to make purchases which did give the market a lift restockers also chimed in across weight classes only a few veal to quote, 155 to 238. Trade steers and heifers bounced 20 cents, 196 to 235 for the steers and 168 to 240 for the heifers. Lightweight steers back to the paddock gained 15 cents, 190 to 238. Feeder of steers jumped 20, 182 to 240. Feet of heifers were firm. With the heavier end out to ten cents dearer, one hundred sixty to one ninety four. Heavy steers and bullocks were fifteen to twenty cents stronger, one hundred eighty six to two dollars fifty. Heavy cows gained five, one sixty five to one ninety eight. The middle run picked up eight to ten cents, one thirty four to one sixty eight. On Leanne Dax for MLA.
1: Thanks very much for that, Leanne. Let's go to Packenham Cattle now and Brendan Fletcher. G'day, Brendan. G'day, Warwick numbers increased to 700, that's 180 more with most of the usual buyers operating in a
8: mixed market. Quality improved with more finish throughout. The very best trade cattle were dearer, while most young lots sold uncontested. Ground steers eased twenty cents. Well finished manufacturing steers lost ten cents. Friesian manufacturing steers lifted fourteen. Cows sold ten to fifteen dearer, with processors loading cows for an estimated two seventy-four to three sixty-seven cents a kilogram carcass weight. Heavy bulls eased twenty. Vealers sold from two hundred to two ninety after a top of three twenty. Yearling trade steers, 220 to 274. The heifer portion, 200 to 245. Grown steers and bullocks, 200 to 240. Heavy freezing steers, 166 to 184. Crossbreds, 186 to 228. Most light and medium weight cows, 115 to 158. Heavyweights, 130 to 192. Heavy bulls, 198 to
5: 222. This is Brendan Fletcher reporting for MLA. Thanks very much for that, Brendan. Lucky last, Chris Agnew at Mortlake. Thanks, Warwick. An increase this week at Mortlake to 1,124 head of cattle, an increase of 217 head. Trade cattle showed an improvement in quality as did grown steers and bullocks. Cow numbers increased by 100 head. There was a good mixture of both beef and dairy breads on offer. The market showed some resilience for the better end of most categories of cows, trade cattle and manufacturing steers to remain firm, with the secondary cattle slightly cheaper. With the exception of the heavy-grown cattle, to be ten cents a kilo, softer overall, trade steers and heifers made between one seventy-five and two forty-five. Grown cattle topped out this week at two twenty-five cents. Manufacturing steers sold from one thirty to one ninety-eight, and the good beef cows made from one forty-five to one ninety, with the medium weights one thirty to one forty-five. Dairy cows were generally make between 145 and 175 At Mortlake, this is Chris Agnew reporting for MLA.
1: Thanks very much for that, Chris. That's about all the time we have for you on the Country Hour today. A couple more texts just coming in on Bernie Free. One says VFF needs to get in support, Bernie Free. He's shown leadership by staying and attempting to sort. Another one saying, I believe the reason farming unions don't work well is because their political ideology is anti-union. Maybe you can let me know how you feel about that tomorrow because that's it for us today. Catch you soon. It's one o'clock.